out of Austin, Texas. You're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Hello, everyone. This is Sheila, host of the Unsanctioned Citizen and That AI Show. I wanted to share a little bit about the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program as part of the HRSA. If you or someone you know is suffering from the lasting effects of an illness or disability symptoms after taking a vaccine, please contact the Health Resources and Services Administration to learn more about the resources available to you that could help you and many others. For claims associated with the COVID-19 vaccine or other COVID-19 related countermeasures, please file your request for benefits with the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program. Please visit injurycompensation.hrsa.gov to learn more and tell a friend. Okay, so that is, uh, we have quite a few updates today about the vaccine. This is day 5555 of 100 days of call-in. Let's notify all the people. Invite, invite, invite. So everybody's invited. So welcome to the Unsanctioned Citizen podcast this afternoon. So Denmark, you know, this is big spreading news all over the place. Denmark is not going to use the mRNA vaccine on anyone under 50 because myocarditis. Claims, accredited claims, studies, and more studies conclude that there is myocarditis, okay, and that the mRNA has definite drawbacks for for a lot of reasons. So um, you certainly can look into more of that. Also, Dr. Fauci in the press again before Congress again was taken to task by uh, Dr. Rand Paul. So I'm going to cue that up for you right now. I thought it was too good to let that go because he just took a really long time to get around to, um, what what can I say? He took a really long time to get around to um, green lighting immunity or human immuno response to COVID-19. And now that it is at its conclusion, like, yes, you can generate your own immunity response to it without a vaccine, um, the vaccines are kind of on their way out. You don't need it if you've already had the flu. So this was really great, and I want to play it for you now. Uh, but she's had the flu for 14 days. Should she get a flu shot? Well, no. If she got the flu for 14 days, she's as protected as anybody can be because the best vaccination is to get infected yourself. And so she if, she re- if she really has the flu, if she really has the flu, she definitely doesn't need a flu vaccine. Next, if she really has the flu, she right. should not get it again. No, she doesn't need it because the, it's the be- it's the most potent vaccination is getting infected yourself. This is Dr. Fauci. This is an ongoing question, and you know we've had ever evolving opinions from you, Dr. Fauci. Currently, antibody surveys show that uh, 80% of children, approximately 80% of children, have had COVID, and yet there are no guidelines coming from you or anybody in the government to take into account their naturally acquired immunity. 
You seem quite certain of yourself in 2004, but in 2022, there's a lot less certainty. One of the things that we also know after looking at this for two to three years uh, is that the mortality uh, from COVID is very similar, if not less than, than influenza. So when we look at this, we wonder, you know, why you seem to really embrace basic immunology back in 2004 and how you or why you seem to reject it now. Well, <clears throat> I don't uh, reject basic immunology, Senator, and I have never denied that there is importance of the protection following infection. However, as we have said many times and has, has been validated by the authorization of the by the FDA through their committee and the recommendation by the CDC through their committee that a vaccination following infection gives an added extra boost. And that film that you showed is really taken out of context. I believe that was when someone called in who had had a reaction to a vaccine and asked me through a telephone in the interview if they should get vaccinated again. So it was in the context of someone who had a reaction. And as a matter of fact, Reuters fact check looked at that and said, Fauci's 2004 comments do not contradict his pandemic actually, actually, words don't lie. If you look at the words behind me, we can go over them a little bit at a time. She doesn't need it because the most potent vaccination right. is getting infected to yourself. It so, is true. It is true, Senator. It is a very potent way to protect. So when you're trying to tell us that kids need a third or a fourth vaccine, are you including the variability or the variable of previous infection in the studies? No, you're not. Because when you have approved vaccines in recent times and the committees that have approved it for children don't report anything on hospitalization or death or transmission. Right. They only report that if you give them the jab, they'll make antibodies. And you can give kids hundreds of jabs and they'll make antibodies every time, but that does not prove efficacy. So what you're doing is denying the very fundamental premise of immunology that previous infection does provide some sort of immunity. It's not in any of your studies. Almost none of your studies from the CDC or from the government have the variable of whether or not you've been previously infected. So let's look at adults. I've had three infections. Should I get a fourth one? If you're going to measure whether I get a fourth one, you need a, a category that has a fourth one in it, and you need one that has nothing in it, no vaccine or the fourth vaccine. But you also need to know whether they've been infected. If you ignore whether they've been infected, you're ignoring a vaccine, basically. So you're ignoring a variable. So what you're giving us is this, the, you decry, and people decry vaccine hesitancy. It's coming from the gobbledygook that you give us. You're not paying attention to the science. The very basic science is that previous infection provides a level of immunity. If you ignore that in your studies, if you don't present that in your committees, you're not being truthful or honest with this. Okay. So that's the end of that exchange. And I thought it was worth uh, showing or, you know, just presenting to you here. It was a public spectacle. There was one other important Senate committee hearing today that was worth mentioning <clears throat> so I'm going to pull it up now 
there was a privacy hearing today. So let's pull that up. Uh, let's see. I wouldn't call it a privacy hearing. It was a Senate committee hearing um, featuring the Twitter whistleblower um, Mudge Zatko. And so the big pullout today, or meaning like the, the headline that we're taking away that, you know, basically we pushed our original programming and basically preempted it for this because it was so important, is that there was a Twitter whistleblower by the name of Mudge Zatko who is now longer employed by Twitter, who is alleged before a Senate committee that at least one Chinese spy is currently employed at the company ongoing. So this is reported from Business Insider. Here's the top three uh, ideas. Twitter's whistleblower Peter Zatko complained, uh, sorry, claims that Twitter has at least one Chinese spy at the company, at least one. Zacco said he informed an exec of the threat and was told, what does it matter if we have more foreign agents? Twitter has said Zacco's complaint is riddled with inaccuracies. Hmm. So former Twitter security chief Peter Zacco told U.S. lawmakers on Tuesday that Twitter has at least one Chinese agent at the company. Zacco alleged that the FBI warned Twitter that the company employed a Chinese foreign agent. I had been told because the corporate security, physical security team had been contacted and told that there was at least one agent of the MSS, which is one of China's intelligence services, on the payroll inside of Twitter, Zacco said at a Senate hearing on Tuesday. The revelation at the hearing came after Zacco, better known by his hacker name Mudge, had already alleged the company knowingly allowed an agent for the Indian government to work inside Twitter with access to user data. Zatko's complaint, which was submitted to U.S. authorities in July, indicated that the U.S. government had provided Twitter with specific information that at least one of its employees, perhaps more, may be working for a foreign intelligence agency, but it did not specify which countries the agents were allegedly working for. Today's hearings only confirms that Mr. Zatko's allegations are riddled with inconsistencies and inaccuracies. A Twitter spokesperson who remains unnamed in this at time of press told the Insider, Business Insider, an FBI spokesperson did not immediately respond to the Insider's request for comment. While it was disturbing to hear, uh, I and many others had recognized the state of the environment at Twitter, Zatko said. If you are not placing foreign agents inside of Twitter because it's very difficult to detect them and it is very valuable to a foreign agent to be inside there as foreign intelligence agencies, um, you're most likely not doing your job. Former security chief said he informed an executive of the threat and was told, what does it matter if we have more foreign agents? Hmm. Not a customary response. So we have India and China, according to Zatko. So the Twitter whistleblower's 84-page complaint was first publicly reported last month. In his complaint, Zacco accused the company of lying to Elon Musk about spam accounts on its site and having poor security practices that could violate a private, uh, sorry, a previous FTC settlement agreement. The whistleblower complaint is also relevant in Twitter's ongoing legal, legal battle with Elon Musk. 
The social media company is attempting to get the billionaire to follow through on his agreement to purchase the company for $44 billion after he attempted to pull out of the deal in July. Musk's legal team has already amended its countersuit against Twitter to include Zacco's allegations. The five-day trial is set to go to court in October. Okay, and so that is... Um, that is the... Those are the words from Business Insider, and I just wanted to also produce this. Whistleblower details Twitter data security practices to the Senate committee. So this is really important. There's a lot of American data in there. Twitter's former head of security, Zatko, revealed his prior employer lagged a decade behind cybersecurity standards. This statement was one of among... Several shocking disclosures he shared with members of the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee during a hearing yesterday. Zatko, who worked at Twitter from November 2020 through January 2022, was called to testify to the committee after he filed a whistleblower complaint with the U.S. Federal Trade Commission and the Securities and Exchange Commission, which was made public in August. In the complaint, Zacco, who was hired by Twitter after teenage hackers breached the prominent verified accounts, accused company leadership of neglecting significant security concerns. Responding to Zacco's claims in August, his Twitter spokesperson at the time said privacy and security matters have, quote, have long been company-wide priorities. His revelations about the inner workings of Twitter outlined a pattern by company, company leadership to ignore security vulnerabilities covering up security failures and misleading regulators and lawmakers. Zacco said Twitter's leadership is misleading the public lawmakers, regulators, and even its own board of directors. He claimed the company's cybersecurity failures make it vulnerable to exploitation and is prone to be, quote, compromised by teenagers, thieves, and spies while creating its own set of security problems due to lax, lax practices. Okay. Quote, what I discovered when I joined Twitter was that this enormously influential company was over a decade behind industry security standards, Zacco said. He told the committee he brought concrete evidence of these fundamental problems to the executive team and repeatedly sounded the alarm of the real risks associated with them. But rather than addressing them, Zacco said the executive team chose instead to mislead its board, shareholders, lawmakers, and the public instead of addressing them. According to Zatko, Twitter's problems, like Facebook parent company Meta, stem in part from the sheer volume of user data it collects. Um, he said engineers do not have anything close to a full grasp of the amount of users' personal data they collect and how and where it ultimately gets stored. So he said this dynamic presented him with two overarching problems. First, the company doesn't know what data they have, where it lives, or where it came from, so unsurprisingly they can't protect it. Zacco said. This leads to the second problem, which is the employees have too much access and too, too much data and too many systems. To help the senators of the Judiciary Committee understand the scope of the problem, Zacco said Twitter's engineers had a good understanding of what data they were collecting, what the user had provided it, and when it was supposed to be deleted approximately only 20% of the time. He said the figure was based on the results of an internal survey conducted by engineers that he provided with his lawful disclosure to the committee. Zatko said for engineers to even begin to understand the contents and the storage location of the remaining 80% of user data, which includes personally identifying information, 
and they're asking for more right now today. Anybody who has a Twitter account knows and geolocation data. They required broad access to a number of internal systems, including the ability to access individual accounts. Quote, this kind of vulnerability is not in the abstract. It is not far-fetched to say that employers inside the company could take over the accounts of all the senators in this room, Zatko said. He also said Twitter's internal systems did not keep a log of all engineers who accessed any specific data sets. This dynamic was especially problematic when the company was presented with an evidence of several of their workers being directly involved with foreign intelligence operations. Several senators referenced multiple incidents of foreign intelligence infiltration of Twitter. In one instance brought up at the beginning of the hearing by Senate Judiciary Chairman Dick Durbin, Democrat of Illinois, a Saudi Arabian citizen who worked at the company, was convicted in the U.S. for stealing the personal data of Saudi citizens who were critical of the Saudi regime. In response, Zatko said Twitter lacked the ability to internally look for, for and identify inappropriate access within their own systems. Mm. He also told the committee he had high confidence that he identified a foreign agent while working at the company. While we didn't know that person inside, was acting on behalf of a foreign interest as an unregistered agent. It was extremely difficult to track people, Zatko said. There was a lack of logging and an ability to see what they were doing, what information was being accessed or to contain their activities, let alone set steps for remediation and possible reconstitution of any damage. They simply lacked the fundamental abilities to hunt for foreign intelligence agencies and expel them on their own. Okay. So Twitter's got a real insider threat problem. They've got negligence, and they just have uh, an atmosphere that's that's really, I would say today, it's contravening that FTC order. It's definitely an unfair environment towards the U.S. consumer, towards all consumers, but definitely the U.S. consumer based on their terms of service agreement, their end user license agreement, and privacy agreements. They can't uphold the promise of fair practice right now, based on what Zadko's saying. So if there were an additional, safe FTC probe onto this company as a follow-up and, an, and a Security and Exchange Commission, and another just generalized security. Um, I don't know who, which agency would look into it. Probably DHS, uh, because there would be it would be a domestic overreach by foreign actors. You had three in there. You had this the, someone who was an unregistered foreign agent, kind of like a privatized spy for the Saudi state, a privatized spy for the Indian state, and then another. With MSS with the People's Republic of China. That's not a good track record. So, um, so Twitter's got some major problems. And so, if you'd followed Elon Musk trying to buy Twitter, this stuff is all coming out in the wash right now. And I'm, I'm really glad of it happening because there's a lot of traffic on Twitter and they, they do ask for a lot of private information. They want the, and they want more. And, until they clean up their act, you know more than you did, so I hope that you will taper your participation on the platform.
Um, one of the concerning things about having a an MSS agent from the from China on staff is that maybe some of those those policies to kind of limit speech or kind of could have been influenced, but it didn't seem like they were really caring about who had access to to what systems and databases. There was a real kind of slack hand with generalized data security in general. They don't know where everything is, so you know if somebody has a a good knowledge of how say a disorganized company would even work then they would know where to look so I'm getting some comments flying up here at the bottom it's uh, it's flyover man and Twitter is mostly bots regardless of how many spies are out there okay that's a fair argument I wouldn't say it's mostly bot. I'm not a bot are you a bot if you have a Twitter account are you a bot see here I've never had a Twitter oh well Justin doesn't have a Twitter it says, but I can't avoid it because every other show has become about who tweeted what to whom, like high school gossip. Like, oh, well, unavoidable. That's what Twitter be. That's what tweeting be about. Sorry, Jonathan. Try to manage those realistic expectations. Okay, so let me see if there's anything else I needed to cover with you before I move on to the talk piece. Um, I did include some links in this, uh, in this group of communications. So if you go to the unsanctioned citizen box, there's a series of dots underneath. If you just push to the left. Oh, yeah, Republicans. Uh, there was one particular Breitbart article. Let's get it up here. I typically don't, I don't retweet anything from Breitbart, but this was worth saying. And it was an exclusive, so eh, got to say it. So there were some Republican lawmakers. One of them was my my representative, Chip Roy of Texas, Thomas Massey of Kentucky, and Mike Johnson of Louisiana are demanding answers about the effect of the vaccine mandate on military readiness in a letter to the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, first obtained by Breitbart News. And so the claim is that they say that they estimate that 100,000 troops face discharge, like active duty discharge over Biden's vaccine mandate, which is still going. Even though the CDC recommendation has backed off completely, people can just go go back to normal living, not the US military. They haven't they haven't extended this this uh, graceland to the United States military and uh, about a hundred thousand troops will face discharge over this mandate if they don't conform by a certain deadline. So I'll just read part of this to you. It won't take forever. Um, the Biden administration's military vaccine mandate is clearly harming military readiness by creating unnecessary recruiting and retention shortfalls, Johnson said in a statement. And now, after the Pentagon has tried and failed to make up the difference by reducing recruitment standards over 100,000 active service members who taxpayers paid to train face discharge during the worst recruiting year in our military's history, he said. The, they expressed particular concern for the readiness of U.S. Army, uh, which will miss its recruiting goal this September 30th by thousands, but stands to lose 8% of its 1 million soldier force during the vaccine mandate. 75,000 soldiers are discharged. It begs the question whether the Army will be able to replace them, the legislators wrote. 
At the very end of the fiscal year, the Army has only met 52% of its fiscal year 22 recruiting goal. How will it recruit recruit another 75,000 troops beyond its annual target to account for the vaccine-related discharges? So, um, and for Jonathan, uh, military readiness is ready to go to war, ready to defend the country, ready for disasters, ready for military service, meaning to, to be deployed, ready for military deployment in all of its capacities and in ranges of, of capacities. That's what military readiness is. Okay, so they noted that thousands of service members who have applied for religious and medical exemptions have been left in limbo. While their cases are adjudicated, some waiting for almost a year to find out whether they'll be forcibly discharged for their religious beliefs or medical concerns, Roy called it a de facto ideological purge. Joe Biden's message to young, healthy American patriots is clear. Unless you submit to taking a politicized, ineffective COVID-19 vaccine, you cannot serve in the armed forces, he said in the statement. And through their tyrannical military vaccine mandate... This administration is intentionally forcing out thousands of the brave men and women who sacrificed to serve our country. This de facto ideological purge will continue to undermine our military readiness for years to come. So so there's the issue of um, religious exemptions, people who have uh, qualified medical objections to the vaccine, and the fact that the CDC has backed off of all of its compliance and requirements for the general public. So why should we apply these standards to the U.S. military at this point? That's a question I, I would probably bring up to you, but I'll kick back to this um, this Twitter piece too. So we've got a couple of talk pieces that we can, we can move into if anybody would like to call in um, and discuss it. So I'll be taking your calls now. Anybody? like to call in. So there's Joshua. He just magically appeared. His dot magically appeared. I'm going to pick on Jonathan and see if he'll come come talk. <laughs> Jonathan has accepted the, the right of speech. Let's see if he'll open his mic and talk to us. Because <laughs> otherwise, I'm just going to start reading headlines from the Babylon Bee. Hey, Jonathan, how's it going? Hey, how are you? Hey, good, good to talk to you. Um, so, are any of these these headlines uh, concerning to you? Yeah, they are. But like I was saying about it being, I don't know, I can't substantiate the claim that it's mostly bots, but. It can. I know that there were sold P- accounts that pretty much got destroyed when they took a, the bots away. It's like, oh, I had 9,000 followers, and now I have 148 when they took the bots away. It's <laughs> a lot of bots. And I got another one today. I got another bot follower today, by the way. Yeah. Like, oh. But So there was something that happened when, like I said, uh, all of a sudden you couldn't avoid it. And the whole mainstream media, like CNN, the whole programs are the basically who, who yeah, who's like, oh, and he, this person tweeted this about this other person about the planning stages for an event, which was to plan another of 
event, which was to discuss the possibility of funding a program that never even happened. And you know what? You're six layers away from anything happening, and you're talking right. about the tweets about that. It's packing like, peanuts. Student loan debt. Did it happen as of today? Has that happened? No. No. The same thing with Medicare for All. <laughs> the same thing with $15 minimum wage. We're going to spend a month talking about the fucking tweets about it, about nothing. It's all nothing. It's entertainment. It's just a way to distract people from anything. The fact that there's nobody who does a goddamn thing ever. And so, and I don't trust it. They, they have, they're like, oh, this uh, nine thousand people liked this kind. I'm like, did they though? Did they really? Because I don't believe that shit. Yeah. I believe you can buy. You can go to Korea and buy likes. Oh, you can buy upvotes. You can buy retweets. Because there's one girl sitting in front of seventeen iPads going blink, 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 blink. See, and the thing is, is that I there's also this accreditation system, this credits credit you know that's credibility like you have a blue check mark and that's supposed to be if you're if someone influenced you know you're an influencer you get this blue check mark that, yeah, you that, buy that shit. yeah i guess you can i guess you can just just you know plunk down a you know some money and, and get a blue check mark it's they're telling you what's important and it doesn't matter again i've said this a thousand times about a thousand different things whether it's the fbi raid whether it, it doesn't matter what they're saying about them the fact that the topic of conversation is what it is is the message between the lines is this is important and that blue check mark says that what this person focuses on is what you should focus on and it doesn't matter but if you don't you like. care about what the blue checks say you know where are they going to go with that the, the blue check has the power to make people care about oh, because they well, think other I people care I, I got a secret for you jonathan the blue checks will talk about a thing and i will still not care well, you're different. You're, like, you are visibly and audibly, uh, not, not visibly, but audibly because everything you say shows that you're less susceptible to groupthink than most people are. I'll give you credit for that, if nothing well, else. Thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, game recognized game. But most people are very susceptible. They, if other people think something is important, you know what? I might submit myself to a study to as to how, how the hell that happened. Because everybody else seemed to get kind of, kind of marooned on an island of groupthink, and I don't know how I avoided that. I just did. Yeah, well, none of us completely avoid it because the information, the, the things that we even have to choose from, are pre-selected for us to by things like Twitter, whether there's spies there or not. So I get what the guy's saying. He's like, "What? What, what does it matter to me if there's spies? Our company works, doesn't it?" Like, yeah, it works in a really fucked up way. Whether oh there are spies there or not. <laughs> You've been infiltrated by foreign interests. They're like, we don't care. Like, you know, no, half of our workforce is, you know, I mean, I, come, if I were the CEO our H1 of Twitter, BBs from, from Malaysia and Russia and, you know, quasi enemy, you know, will they be an enemy tomorrow? Maybe. You know, get yeah, them over here. They the can enemy program. Of the United States doesn't make them the enemy of Twitter. Twitter is a, more powerful than most countries. Right? It's a country unto itself. Well, I mean, it, it seems it's more influential because of its its communicating platform. It has more reach into, you know, other countries. But I don't think that it's more powerful, so to speak. It doesn't mobilize any militaries. It doesn't have any, um, any you know, global economy. It doesn't run its own currency. It doesn't have any citizenship. It doesn't... It doesn't uh, have a protectorate of the people. It doesn't have a governance outcome. Do you follow me? 
I mean, its interests the, are not America's interests. They don't necessarily misalign. They are a corporation. Or, or that's I mean, that's true. That's true. All of those things are true. I won't disagree with you on that. You can be uh, China can be anti-America without being anti-Twitter. Like in the absence of America, Twitter might do just fine without the U.S. You know, it doesn't need us. Well, they'll also just go rip off. They'll just go do a, a Chinese version of Twitter. They'll just do a knockoff of Twitter, which they. Probably I'm surprised have. they haven't already. I mean, there probably are kind. I think of, they have, dude. I think they already have like their own version. It's not BB or Baba, but it's something like that. They have, they have a bunch of different messaging platforms like it. So. But so much of. So, this anyways, I mean, covered. what do you think about this uh, vaccine mandate uh, for the military? I mean, uh, they they've begged off on all the mandate stuff for the general public, but they're really still making it. Uh, a quorum for the U.S. military. We could lose a bunch of soldiers if they... Soldiers? Yeah, soldiers. We need them. Do we? They've been used as guinea pigs since the beginning of time. Like, if they got a drug they want to test, you guess who they're going to give it to? No, I'm I'm with you there. That's historically accurate, for sure. But, in the event that they have a conscientious objection or a rational objection to a vaccine that isn't being, you know, applied to the U.S. public, um... Do you think that they should still go forward, or should they be able to opt out at this point and retain their position? Nope. <laughs> you so can think gonna, about it. I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna I'm have asking to repeat you a question. I, I lost. I lost you for a second. You're gonna have to repeat the okay. question. So the question was, you know, the United States military stands to lose thousands of soldiers. Tens of thousands, up to tens of thousands of soldiers. Uh, Maybe they don't like vaccination. Them. Well, let me finish. You asked me to repeat the question. I'll just do it. Um, tens of thousands of soldiers, and this is over the vaccination mandate or the quorum of the van- of the mandate. Now, the CDC has, you know, bagged off of making the general public use it, but they still have a a private quorum. Like, in within the government, within the government, meaning it's a public-private quorum to make sure that they use the vaccine. But the vaccines are are now not necessarily a a mandatory thing. Imagine their surprise when thousands of soldiers refused the vaccine, even though they were told, ordered basically to take it. Yeah, and they uh, they there probably are did not expect that. objections to this. And they're being threatened with discharge. Right, but then when you don't know what's in a vaccine or what it's going to do to you in 20 years, maybe they'd rather be discharged. I imagine they know that and have thought about it. Mm -hmm. So do you think the the government should back off? Do you think the government should should back off and and say? From the point of the view of the government... I think like they they should back off, but like I said, they might not want to sit around and pay all these soldiers because maybe they have too many. But they, they, you wouldn't think so because the recruiting quotas are always really high and they pressure. Yeah, we talked about that. I, I, we talked about that in the article. Like that, there is a recruiting quota, and t- so retention of your your existing military forces would be ideal. You know, just throwing a yeah. good good. You know, well-trained soldier that you've already poured money and and you know training resources into, just throwing them in the wind because of a pissing contest over a vaccine. I think they should let go of this. They probably will let go for the reason that you just said, because 
though a lot of them are not looking at discharge like the worst thing that could ever happen given that world war three is basically already started in ukraine and it might and like, move do you need soldiers i mean if you're gonna just if you're gonna you know flick the nose of your foreign adversaries you know do, do you need soldiers <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they need soldiers, but I wouldn't... I personally don't like the idea of imperialism, or and I don't like the idea of us fighting a bunch of <clears throat> Russians and Chinese just so that we can secure more profits for the top 5% of people whose int- profits come from commodity imports and rent extraction. Well, like, I don't I see an existential whole... threat from China. And and there's, uh, there's this, you know, which is something I'm not necessarily a foreign policy show... But we have completely gone, we've eliminated diplomacy. Like, it's just overlooked. And they, they just yeah. jump directly towards sanctions and war now. And I, I don't You're really know wrong. why this has been factored out. Diplomacy, diplomacy had, requires respect, and nobody respects Diplomacy uh, is also cheap, States. my friend. It doesn't require any tax, additional tax. You know, you you hire three people who are highly qualified to keep us out of wars. You know, you pay them a hundred thousand dollar plus salary, and that mm-hmm. keeps us out of wars, expensive Cheap. and destructive wars. That's that's far cheaper than deploying bodies that that will die on the ground and and you know manufacturing an industry around uh, an ongoing war propagation. All that is true, but if I were to begin engaging in diplomatic uh, negotiations with you, I would have to believe two things. One, that you're negotiating in good faith, and two, mm-hmm. that you're in a position to make decisions and keep those terms intact. I don't think that anybody believes that Joe Biden has the power to do anything. He's like, well, he's going to come explain. to the table. That's, that's a rational what? explanation. What can he commit to? What can he commit to and follow through on? It's just a bunch of jargon. Like, the the meetings between heads of states now are just about the news stories about their meeting. That's the, that's the whole point of it happening is because both countries need that news story to have happened. Nothing happens at the meeting. Nothing, no ideas are exchanged, no terms are made or put forth or settled upon. That's not a thing that happens anymore. It all happens in the theater out in the real world. And then somebody blows up an airport and forces or, or something or or something or, somebody or, does or something whatever. yeah there's some kind Mary of Reichstag event, event that you know emerges and then qualifies conflict yeah um which you know all of those things are are necessarily avoidable and i think that it's it's a good term of communication from the american people to our leaders to say you know i i hope that you have enough Credible uh, manpower between many administrations, qualified Americans who know what they're doing, know how to mitigate unnecessary unnecessary conflicts, unnecessary foreign policy agendas that we don't want. You know, blowback that we Putin, don't want. You know, Putin and, knows that Joe Biden doesn't make any decisions. He, he knows mm-hmm. that he doesn't have any power. There's a bunch of this is, it doesn't matter whether you're Donald Trump or Joe Biden, is it? Uh, you know, Joe Biden isn't staffers. just Joe Biden, though, Jonathan. He is the Joe Biden administration, and there are that's my point. People. 
Mm-hmm. The, the, but the, the administration, whether it's but the Trump or the Biden administration, he's got a dozen people shuffling around him, and they come into the Oval Office. They're like, oh, do you want to go 4,000 troops or 6,000 troops? And he thinks that's a decision, when the decision should be between no troops or fucking invade. You know what I mean? But he's there given are, these I'm, I'm going to just contrapositive again. There are people, he has advisors around him that explain what those those terms are. It's not like either or, you know, McDonald's or Burger King here, bro. It's they're gonna they're gonna stand around him, and if he's not up to the decision that day, then maybe he has a team or a group of people in the administration whom are appointees that will assist him to to get to that reductive place. But you're right, you know, we're at Twenty Fifth Amendment right now right now he's not going to push back um, against those people because he doesn't have any imagination he just, he's just going to choose from he's not doing anything except choosing between the choices that were given to him but the choices are pre-selected just like our consumer choices are pre-selected and the news stories we get are pre-selected it's all well, about well i can like, see you're where you're coming from on that but you know i don't i don't necessarily pre-select anything that's pre-selected for me like i don't select anything that's pre-selected necessarily because that in itself is a choice. If someone says, here, take this or that, and I'm like, I don't like either of those, no. I've done that plenty. Well, you, you talked about the FBI raid because somebody else talked about it, and that's not per- – like, everybody did it, not just you. But, like, what's What if they you offer you Hillary Rodham Clinton's State Department? Do you take it or do you leave it? Sorry, sorry, Jonathan. That was, that was Josh. He was invited to speak, and he's, he's, he's chiming in. I – I'm just saying. I'm just saying that you get what you pay for if your advisors are Hillary Rodham Clinton's advisors. Like you decide to recycle them, we end up with this. But it is by design. Yeah, and I felt that. I really feel the flavor of her savor in in this administration because of the lack of confidence. Something else that vacuum, that ideological or that that mental vacuum. That proficiency vacuum. Well, what did they reach for? They reached for the Clinton cash, and uh, I really feel that that uh, that, that brand of governance is is really wicked in there, bro. All of their staffers, of all the DNC public representatives, are staffed by mm-hmm. people who are employed by banking cartels, arms manufacturers. And commodity importers, and it is their interests that are being looked after, and those are the choices that are being presented to the president, are the choices of the people who want to keep making money off commodity imports, arms sales, and a banking monopoly. He doesn't. You get you. So what you do if you're those people is you get a president elected who doesn't have a brain of its own, so that you can control them by just you give them four different choices, all of which are the same, and they they feel like they're making a choice. And then the public feels like he's making a choice, but it's not a choice. It's because his head is empty. Well, I mean, I got, like I got the useful idiot inference. I got it. I got it. You know, we've got Jello mold, and then you know, and then three evil people around him. That's every so, president since uh, F, since FDR, who's not yeah, necessarily, not necessarily. Yeah. I'm not going to agree with that because I don't believe. Who were you going to defend since FDR? Since FDR, Who's, definitely Reagan. 
I'm gonna definitely even even though people attacked his his mental acuity, I'm gonna defend Reagan. I'm gonna defend the United um, States of General Electric. He he literally had the CEO of General Electric standing behind him during his speeches, telling him what to say into the microphone. You can hear it through the microphone. He didn't do anything or say anything that he wasn't told to say by the CEO of the company he worked for as when he was doing TV commercials. Well, I mean, I hear what you're saying, Jonathan, but I don't. You know, if if that's true, then like maybe, I agree, I, maybe I agree <laughs> maybe with you, GE. Maybe I agree with GE. That's fine. You can say Okay, it's not fine, GE. no. But the way that you're describing this is that the, the kingmakers are, are, the, are the true power of America, and there's no democracy here. It's just already a Absolutely. giant fascist enterprise, and that there's yes. no... No personal volition in the, in this country whatsoever, and I don't believe that at all. So just Bush say no to Jello. <laughs> we got we got we definitely have Article Twenty Five Jello mold right now. So, um, but it's been that way for fifty years. Well, I don't agree with that. Jonathan already said that. So. <laughs> I'm going to see here. We're 45 minutes in, almost. Uh, Does any, Mace, do you want to jump in here and say anything before we, you know, chew away? Going once, going twice. Oh, he unmuted himself. Oh, wait, there he is. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. What's the question? Well, I mean, I just final comments. You know, any kind of leverage, you know, to, to the other voices that are, are present. Is any president um, more than a puppet of the corporatocracy? That's not really uh, what I we're haven't, talking about. I haven't about. heard any news about Twitter, but um, I love capitalism. Capitalism rocks. So I'll put that out there, see if anyone bites. <laughs> I honestly can't tell if he's joking or not. It is a leveraging comment, you know. Because the, the narratives that are out there are like, you know, everything is owned. You are owned. You are merely a slave. And I'm like, I don't I don't believe that. So, hey, um... <laughs> FDR did not allow bankers in his cabinet meetings. And ever since, they've been allowed to write all the laws. What's that about? I'm not sure that that's true. I don't necessarily it agree with that. True. I do believe... Capitalism in- rocks, Jonathan. We don't have capitalism. We this is feudalism. We live in feudalism. It's serfdom. Capitalism. There is not some. Involve. There is some. But if you if you add your complicity to it, it's going to be an argument and a fight. So, I'm going to go. This is this is the unsanctioned citizen. All the voices were heard that I could get up here to talk. So, all the voices you can get to talk <laughs> on the unsanctioned citizen. The laws. I'm leaving. <laughs> all right. Take care. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access Unsanctioned Citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio podcasts, and call in. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.